Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Everything 3P. And we are perfectly happy uh, to have Annalisa DeMarta, president of Loan Cone, with us. And as always, we have David Howell, the founder of Howell & Associates. So, Annalisa, thank you for joining us. I, we are, for lack of a better word, stoked to have you on here and in, in talking about uh, uh, copyright infringement and so on and so forth. But uh, without, so oh, go ahead, Annalisa. Sorry, I'm sorry for taking your thunder. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share in your journey of this uh, podcasting. This is great. They, well, this is awesome. Anything else, Dave? Anything you want to add in there? Nope, I think it's great. I think this is a, a kind of a needed asset within the industry. Um, everybody knows me for the last 20 years being the enforcer. Yeah. Well, there comes, you know, we've learned, and Maurice, you kind of helped me guide me down this path as well. I mean, on the educational learning side, you know, we send out 10,000 cease and desist letters and half of them come back going, I'm authorized. I bought it legitimately. Go talk to Annalisa. She, she'll tell you, here's my invoice. And, you, and now you start learning that it's not always an enforcement anymore. It's, it's a channel cleanup and communication and guiding down that right path. So I think it's, um, you know, when we first launched everything 3P a little bit ago, it was very interesting. I launched on my LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm that geek that's got 30,000 followers on LinkedIn. And it was pretty, pretty impressive with a lot of people going, this is exactly what's needed. It'd be neat yeah. to hear it this side. And of course, we don't want to, you know, I'll drop a few names here. We don't want, you know, angel sellers. We don't want those types of third party sellers on here. That's an everybody's a thorn in their butt. But um, there's a lot of good faith sellers out there that just don't know what they don't know. Some of them don't even know what traditional retail arbitrage, you know, buying low, selling high. Yep. And also what's that first sale doctrine mean? What does it mean that I can buy and resell? So I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I think long-term we're going to address all of this and have third-party sellers, have distributors, have manufacturers, bring them all together for a conversation. And that's why we thought, you know, Annalisa, we thought of you because you're a little bit of all of that. You, you know? really are. Yeah. And, and maybe Annalisa, maybe it would help the, the listeners to understand what, what your journey was. It's a fascinating journey. So you, you understand the whole gamut of uh, from a third party to a distributor, a brand, the whole bit. So would that be okay if we, we went and delved a little bit into your, uh, into your uh, history? Yeah, no, totally happy to share. Um, so my background, like most folks who probably fall into online selling is truly falling in as a side hustle. Uh, during grad school, needed a way to make money. And so we had a friend that had a bookstore and he was like, hey, do you wanna put some books up on eBay? This is going back 20 years ago. Uh, and so then Amazon was really just launching themselves as a bookseller. So we started putting books on eBay. Uh, and then over time, it kind of became to become scalable, you know, selling more than just books. And Amazon was the early days of product, uh, but it was really inconsistent. But I remember going to Trader Joe's and buying like, you know, multiple packs of, you know, peanut butter and kidding those together. Uh, you know, getting weird eyes at the checkout, but being like, you know, I could buy this for $6 and I'm selling it for $25. Uh, and that was the beginning of retail arbitrage. Yeah. But in order to kind of be successful, you know, lying on, you know, relying on kind of, you know, overstock and outlets wasn't consistent. And so learning to work with brands was the kind of the next evolution and going to the brands that we were selling and just having a conversation and saying, hey, you know, I'm buying your products from TJ Maxx, Marshalls, you know, one of those places, <clears throat> you know, in, in these giant lots what if we just had struck up a deal where I bought your products directly and we cleaned up the, your marketplace presence? 
And <clears throat> so I think that really having that experience as a third-party seller or as an arbitrage seller gave me the experience to be a better third-party seller, and I could really educate brands into what people were doing with products, you know, beyond the Amazon marketplace. Uh, and then kind of through there, you just kind of founded this little brand called Lone Cone. I guess it's not so little now, but uh, <laughs> direct-to-consumer, Amazon-only brand for kids, and it really was a sandbox. So, I, I, so as Maurice, as you said, yeah, I mean, I kind of started off as a side hustle doing arbitrage to third-party good-faith seller, of, you know, working with brands, which is something I have an agency called Bridgeline Insights that we do work with brands um, to, to help promote their products on Amazon. And then I also run Lone Cone, and that's an interesting position as a manufacturer where now I'm on the other side where I send people season to assist on eBay, and I just submitted all my stuff to customs to, you know, stop the importation of counterfeit products. So uh, with a that lot of, you know, good. help from Dave Howell's guidance on <laughs> how to do so. So, yeah, it's kind of coming full circle. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's kind of the abbreviated version of our journey. That is a fantastic journey. There's no doubt about it. So, again, thank you for for delving into that history a bit there. And, and Dave, uh, you've been, you introduced me to Annalisa and it's amazing, again, what, what started out initially as, as all these cease and desist and so on and so forth, but then, it, then we get into all kinds of other arenas. I wonder if you could, you wanna talk a little bit about those other arenas, especially as we delve into the copyright infringement. Oh my gosh, where do we start? So going back 20 years ago, right? Um, you know, there was this little thing called brand protection and nobody knew what it was. Nobody knew anything about it, right? And and nowadays it's thrown around in just about everything. Um, I mean, yeah. they have brand protection, you know, asset consultants that are actually just security guards in the front of a store, right? I mean, so we don't really know what brand protection is today, but if we if we go back and understand the evolution, it really came down when when the internet really started to blow up, and that was right about the 2000s, right? The the, the new millennia where um, the Anti Cyber Squatting Act um, was in place under the Clinton administration, uh, where you can't steal somebody's domain name, basically what that comes in trademark within a domain name. And there's the Digital Mini Copyright Act, which then took it a step further. And your your logos, your terms, con, you know, copyrights, things right. of that nature, which we'll touch touch base on here momentarily. So over the years, I always say there's five core components to any brand protection, right? So you do have domain names, you have content on websites, right? You got social media platforms, and then you got you know kind of got the 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 AdWords is something that's coming kind of comes up and down, and now AdWords kind of blend into the social media aspect. But then it comes down to the marketplaces. Now, why you talk about those five areas? It's because if it, it's all diversion, if somebody can divert something from somewhere, a traffic, a click, a product, a consumer, everything that I've done in my entire 20 year careers comes down to diverting some, diverting authorized to unauthorized or something of that nature. So over the last five years, it really has been a hyper focus on, on Amazon, right? And because we talk about Amazon, uh, there is the eBay, Rakuten, Google Shopping stuff that's still out there. There's, you know, Groupon, Target starting, Walmart starting. There's a lot of marketplaces, but really it's, it's I mean, it's coming down to Amazon. And without this just being a, a real primary Amazon um, uh, you know, I guess you would say a podcast or, or a Zoom meeting <laughs> yeah. or a call or whatever, everything seems to go down to Amazon. It, it's important to understand why people drop the word Amazon a lot. It used to be Google. People used to, I wanted a, a pair of reading glasses, right? I'd go on Google, I would read about it, I would sign where to get it and I'd go buy it. Today, all that, all that traffic starts on Amazon. And then Annalisa, you told me just a couple of weeks ago in your office, um, I was quoting 65% because that's something I was working with a year or so ago. You kind of told me we're, we're hitting 85% now. Oh, yeah. 
consumers start on Amazon for product information and product search. Yep. It's yeah, yeah, Amazon is the Google of products. And that's something, you know, when we talk to other brands and we say, why is Amazon important? It's like, this is where consumers, they're doing these broad-based searches. So they're not searching for your brand name. They're not looking up typically not Nike sneakers. They're searching, you know, CrossFit sneakers, running shoes, and having that visibility and owning those search terms and having that, you know, precious real estate for those, you know, top of funnel search terms, I think is absolutely crucial. And so Amazon is absolutely really important as a brand. And if you're obviously, if you're on the other side of it and you're selling products, really knowing where your products are positioned in the marketplace and who's on that, uh, who's on that listing, what does the listing look like? What is the pricing? Those are all such important factors. Um, so I think Amazon really, you're right, this wouldn't be the Amazon podcast, but it really is where <laughs> the bulk of e-commerce is taking place right now. Well, it's where the consumers go. So if the consumers are going there and then whether it's a good faith or bad faith seller, they know where the consumers are at, they're going to be there as well. So we have to understand, I always say that you really do got to take a step back. I'm a big strategy. You can look around my office, see all my military stuff, right? I got war college stuff, things that I've done. Everything's about a strategy. So you can't, you can't just go in here and say, oh, I got a product. I'm going to sell on Amazon. We're rich. Oh, no. They're, that's a great- Those days are over. Yeah, that's a great napkin to sketch out to say that's what we want to do. But now we need to go talk to someone like Annalisa or David Howell or Maurice and understand what that looks like. So, you know, when we talk about that, before we dive exactly into that conversation, you know, Google at one time, and I think they still are today, but they're losing it slowly, was the largest advertising agency in the world. And that came down to the AdWords. It came down to placements, Google Shopping, everything. Well, I do believe that AWS services or Amazon Web Services actually posed to surpass them. And just to that point, Amazon's more of a search engine now for products than they're really just a marketplace because mm -hmm. you're doing your research on that. And then you have to look at what you're specifically searching for through the organic results or what they're pushing to you as ads, exactly how Google was for years, mm -hmm. right? So now we can dive into exactly what we talk about. So we talk about copyright infringement, trademark infringement. We talk about the right ways and wrong ways to set up a store. Um, there's yep. a lot of analogies we're going to dive in here. So anybody who's, you know, who downloads this or listens to this, you know, we talk about seller central, vendor central, we talk about brand registry. These are things we'd be more than happy to answer, but we're not going to dive into each one of those today um, because that each one of those are a segment in themselves. Yeah. Yes, so they are. We're, we're going to keep a very, <laughs> very layman's terms here. And it's like, okay, we want to sell something on Amazon. And if I want to sell, you know, let me say I want to sell a Starbucks cup, right? Can, you know, Annalisa, in, in reality, um, can I just go buy 20 Starbucks cups that are being blown at a discount and then just throw them up on Amazon? Do you think that's okay? <laughs> that's a rhetorical question, but I would love your answer. <laughs> it's, um, it's been a long time. It's like the first thing that would stop me in my tracks to say, is this brand gated? Um, <laughs> yeah. Step one, I mean, I've, I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna say like 15 years ago, I remember like buying some product, uh, like a baby carrier or something and having like, sitting on this inventory and go, what, it's gated, not not even fully understanding what this means. So uh, that would be my primary concern, is, you know, do I have the actual ability to sell this product? That's right. Yeah, right. And, and gating is is something that that launched that eliminates, eliminates a brand or within a category to not be able to even list your product. You get an alert on that. Um, I think gating is kind of not really around much anymore. I know they still kind of do it. Usually it's in the health and beauty, a few other areas that could be what I call consumer consumer health issues that might be gated on mm -hmm. stuff. But the days of, you know, getting your New Balance shoes gated so nobody can sell any New Balance product, like everything else, and I wrote a very large article on this, 
Um, Amazon sometimes just creates these programs for public relations and they don't really truly work or they start realizing, oh my gosh, every brand in the world is gonna be gated, which means no third party sellers, which means that the, the largest um, profit of our platform is gonna go away. So then they reel that back and make too many restrictions. So if they remove or there is no gating and I wanna sell a product like this, well, there's, there's, there's certain ways. If I bought the product legitimately, I have the right then to resell that product, right? Yep. That's the first sale doctrine that allows me to downstream commerce. But there's certain caveats that go in with that. So, um, it, it, you know, not to, not to, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend to be one on TV since we're looking here, right? When I do buy a, a Starbucks cup like this, there has been a level of intellectual property rights that have been transferred to me as the end consumer for my, my use or for the use of possibly reselling it in a certain way. So when we go up there and we create these, these storefronts, and, and now we're gonna broaden back and not just pick on, on Amazon, but we create any storefront, whether even it's our own, our own website, and we wanna sell these products. Um, you can't just take the logos. You can't just take copyrights. You can't take all the all the FAQ or the specs off of uh, the main website, put it on your website, and then just go, look, we can sell the product because look, we got all the information and it's as legitimate as can be. Because in my world, that, that, that stems down to customer confusion, which is absolutely a trademark violation. So in your experience, when you were going through that and starting your stores and all that, you know, at what level... From, from not an enforcement, because I can talk about the enforcement side, but maybe from the receiving side, or if you ran into any of that, or even if the marketplace came to you, or just you headed that off at the past and said, well, we knew that'd be an issue, so we didn't go there, we went a different route. Are you talking about when I would, when we work with brands and we left their products? I'd, I would say all, all of the above. I mean, you know, launch, even launching your own brand on some of the things like start, maybe start when you were, um, you know, just buying and selling, move to the engagement of actually being an authorized third party seller and the things that came into that all the way through. I mean, now you're your own brand. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have done the, the customs enforcement if you didn't have that issues. So <laughs> you've, seen, you've, you've yeah. seen as I have, and you're one of the few people I probably have this good conversation with from the conception through, oh my gosh, I got my own product is happening to me now. <laughs> you have that yeah. whole thing. So that's the insights all through that would be great. Yeah. Wow. Let's point that question a little bit. Have you received a cease and desist letter or a demand letter or a notice when you were just regular selling? I will say, actually, uh, my legal problems, no. But you know what I did get, though, was uh, a ton of map violations. Um, that was something that was, or you, you would get unauthorized sellers notices from the brand. So thankfully I've never received like a legal cease and desist. I've certainly given them. Um, but no, but I would say, and, and I, and I remember referencing the first sale doctrine and say, you know, I bought this fair and square. Here's my receipt. I have, you know, proof this is a legit product. Um, I've never gone down the path of like going to Alibaba and buying knockoffs. So I, I always felt really confident in the purchases that I was making. And that was something that was really important to be on the up and up that, um, cause I remember seeing stuff and people commenting on this in like different chat rooms years ago. Um, and just being like, you know, I don't know much about stuff, but I'm pretty sure selling fake stuff and putting it in the mail is not a great, uh, use of my time. Um, no, so I, I've been lucky as a seller that I, you know, I always bought from reputable locations. That was really important. Um, just knowing uh, product liability and kind of where things fell and just being concerned with that. Um, but then taking it one step further though with brands, you know, Dave, you and I engaged because we do work with brands and that was part of our, you know, third party selling model. And when you and I were engaging, I remember having conversations with brands, you know, typically most sellers, you send them a cease and desist, 
uh, or you send them a nice note, you're like, hey, you're not authorized. And most sellers will sell to their inventory. It's a limited amount. It's usually not on repeat, uh, and they kind of go away. But you do get those folks that are um, kind of reluctant. Maybe they are buying that product legit or through a distributor. And then what do you do uh, as a brand? You know, you're sort of playing uh, whack-a-mole. On one hand, you've got this distributor that you're counting on that AR from. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't want to water down your pricing. You don't want an inconsistent experience because if your people are selling your product, that's also just customer service and warranties and you know, any, you know, that's one more consumer touch point. And if a consumer has a bad experience, uh, that's reflected on you as a brand. Most sellers are not thinking of a, you know, I bought this from seller X on Amazon. And instead they're saying, I bought your product on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, being mindful of, who's that seller and how are they representing it? And so I would say if you were a third-party seller, uh, authorized or unauthorized, you know, just doing right by that brand will get you a lot of goodwill in the long run. Um, but I think that's kind of the, you know, I think where the, the foundation is, you have to be on the other side of saying, what would the brand want? And, you know, people are in things for a fast dollar, but I think in order to make it uh, stick around or, or have, you know, have some success, you really have to do right by, I think, all parties, customers, brands, um, yeah, and a lot of this trademark copyright stuff kind of falls into there too. But I can go down that path. I, yes. There's so much to say on that I agree. as well. There's, there's one thing that I, I, I caught in there that's probably very applicable. So when you said in the beginning you received a lot of the mount violation notices. So when you received those, were you were you an authorized reseller at that time? Or were you unauthorized and they were just sending you a mount violation? Oh, unauthorized. I would say, uh, and this one's kind of crazy. I, I think about this a lot and how I was successful um, I literally remember talking to brands uh, and, you know, getting references from other brands. And I remember the two things that people would say about uh, me as a seller is they've never violated maps and they always pay their bills on time. And it sounds, and I remember being like, we do all this other stuff. But that really was like a sticking point of like, no, you said to sell it at $39.99. Selling yeah. on Amazon is a privilege. I'm not going to, you know, bite the hand that feeds me. And so I'm going to sell it at $39.99. However, I'm going to get pretty darn pissed when I can't get other sellers who are selling at $39.98. And what are we doing about this? Because now I'm holding the stack of inventory that's costing me money. And so you as the brand, I'm doing right by you, but I'm also eating it. So how do we we work this out? But as an unauthorized seller, I've definitely received a bunch because, hey, I bought this for a dollar. I can sell it for whatever price I want. Um, But I would also use it as an opportunity to talk to the brand and say, you know, hey, I see these six other sellers on here. What if we went to some sort of an game? And that's actually uh, one of the brands we worked with early on. Uh, truthfully, was one of the ways we kind of said, you know, we're buying this from here. You're yelling at us. Maybe we could work something out. Um, yeah, not the best way to get your foot in the door, typically, but uh, it worked once. It, 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 well, that's part of what we're doing here, too, is understanding that. But that, that that's, you know, I, I hear that a lot. Um, and I try to work with brands not to do that because you're not a you being an authorized reseller you're not applicable to any map policies right policies published Correct. policies tied to an agreement that you have in place so that's kind of a big misconception out there so when a third party receives a map map violation notice i think they need to do a couple things and, I, and you touched exactly on them if i re, if they did receive a map and unfortunately a lot of companies have automated systems automated technology yep. companies out so if i receive i'm a third party seller and i receive a map notice i think the very first thing that they should do is take a look at that and go, oh, I probably should try to get a hold of the brand itself because there's a multiple things are going to happen. Yeah, the map violation notice is meaningless, but the one that will follow will not because that will come from someone like me. And then that will literally circumvent the for sale doctrine. I will get you off the platform. 
but it's better if you move to a position going, I'm going to engage with the brand. I'm going to tell them where I got the product. I want to be part of that seller and maybe they'll allow it or maybe they won't, but at least you're moving yeah. into a good faith position. And, and the map notice is the perfect soft notice to alert that. And then I also say, cause I get these a lot when they'll call me and go, Oh, can I become, you know, adventure medical brands? Can I become authorized? I'm like, well, there's a few things I'm going to need you to do right now before I even send this over. Cause that's a business decision. I cannot make that, de that decision on, on, you know, adventure brands uh, behalf, but get your product up to map right now. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me where you bought the product. Send me the invoices and me all your contact information and any other brick and mortar stuff you have. You, if you and this is what started us to do the three P Annalisa every one of them would send us all of that. You can't yeah. tell me that's a bad, bad face seller. That's someone that found a product that was selling yeah. good. So there's a little flattery there to the brand and they wanted to be part of that and they wanted to buy it and sell it. So they don't know your map policies. They're, they're using, they're using this tool right here to click. Yeah. And it says being sold from 79.99 to 89.99. And you're going to go, well, I'm going to go 74.99 because I'm going to be cheapest on the platform. And if their margins are there, that's, that's their map. They don't have an agreement or a policy in place. So you just made them aware of it. So technically they didn't violate, you know, so that's part of this conversation is just getting it to understand that level. Now take it one, you know, go ahead. I'll let you chime there. And then I got one other thing we'll dive into. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say when you talking, so I, I started back on Amazon, I remember calling in the grocery because we couldn't get internet consistently and calling and saying, can you look this up? <laughs> I think it's the shopping cart. But uh, when, when I talk about doing the um, map, or not map violation and pricing, one of the things that always frustrated me, so when you think about map, and it's one thing that's kind of interesting is, uh, you know, price fixing comes into play. And that was something in the early days when map was really being discussed, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, there was a lot of hesitancy on the brands to say, um, where, do, where do we get involved in price fixing? So now we're telling people, you know, and the wording on the agreements, and I remember like talking to different rep groups and them having like sort of anxiety about like, well, we can give you this agreement, but we can't tell you have to follow it. And it yeah. got really, really an interesting time to kind of reflect back on that. But I, what I also would say to people too is like, look, hey, on Amazon the buy box rotates, <laughs> and Amazon's got their algorithm. If you're if you're you have good customer service and all your 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 you know your situation is dialed on Amazon and you're a good seller on Amazon, you're gonna rotate and. So to me, it was just like, why are we eroding our margin? We can all sell this at $79.99. We all make money, but instead you go $79.98 and then the next person goes $74.99. And the next, you know, in a month, it's like down to, you know, we're all making Race negative to the dollars. It's to the bottom. Always. And so it always frustrates me. I'm just like, if you all just message each other and we're like, look, we'll rotate through this and we all make money. It's like, you know, there's always one person who ruins it. Then from a seller. Okay. So. Um, as a seller, and I'm assuming most of what you're doing is going to be FBA, right? So you're going to fulfill by Amazon yeah. when you're rotating that buy box and you, this is the things that, that a lot of my clients really look at. If my buy box attainment isn't 60, 70%, my commingling or my product sitting in Amazon warehouse, I'm paying for that. And yep. the longer I don't have the buy box, the longer I do not get the conversions, the more it's eroding at my margins because it's sitting in the Amazon warehouse. So yep. the created, and this is part of what I'm, I'm writing a book on this. Um, cre they're creating this, this Amazon's the problem, but they're also the solution, right? But they're, they're the problem that's creating this race to the bottom. They're, they're creating this with all the things that they put in there that 
it, it is. It's like the Walmart mentality. I, I worked for Walmart years ago and you, you want to sell something in Walmart like this, you have to sign an agreement that says, not only can I buy it from you, but I never will sell it to anybody less than yeah. you ever. And if you, and if, if Walmart ever finds out that you sold it to Annalisa cheaper, they'll go back to retro to the beginning of that contract and bill you that back. That's how kosher that. yeah. not a business went bankrupt, right? There's a lot of little stories like that. So Amazon's taken that and said the same thing. So you're right. That buy box attainment is what's creating that competitive posture for the race down. And it's the first time in history we truly have seen a race to the bottom for products, mm -hmm. which benefit us, the consumer, right? Because I'll talk under one side of my mouth going, yeah, I probably bought these on Amazon versus going somewhere else because it's cheaper. But then if this was my client, I'd be like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, totally. Well, I think one thing to kind of keep in mind with Amazon, and especially if you're going to become a more sophisticated seller, you know, those are factors that we have to consider. So we manage over 40 brands and, you know, at the end of the day, there's, X, there's a finite amount of demand yeah. and that you'd obviously create demand outside of Amazon and Amazon loves that. And as a brand, you will be rewarded. So any outside traffic you can drive to create, you know, additional consumers to come to that listing. Great. But so when you're a seller and you're factoring how much am I going to sell through and at what time period, you know, if you're doing your replans either every two weeks or once a month or a quarter, you have to factor your buy box rotation in. And, I, and it depends on your risk tolerance. If you want to be more conservative so that you have nothing left, great. Then, you know, plan, maybe you only have 50% uh, the buy box. But these are all factors. Every time we look at it, how many sellers are on the marketplace? What is the buy box rotation? Are those sellers, you start to know the names that you, the categories you compete in. If everybody's at math, it's usually not a problem. But if you see two or three rogue sellers on there, okay, how fast are you going to turn through? But I think in order to be successful on Amazon, especially as a third-party seller or or even just an arbitrage seller, all of those are such important factors that you don't just get. I mean, like you said, Amazon is really the one that's winning at the end of the day. Um, so if you're if you're not able to move through that inventory, oh, especially right now at Q4, uh, you're done. I mean, you just lost so much money. Um, so you really, I mean, you have to be sophisticated, I think, to be profitable. Yep. So let's segue there into like some of the copyright and trademark stuff. I think it's it's in, yeah. It's important to understand that when when a third party is selling on the Amazon platform and they build their content page, that's one thing. But the majority of time, they're not. They're attaching to a content page that's already being that's already listed. So when you receive one, because I put together. Um, a lot of these notices and I, I, I do quote, you know, trademark infringement, mostly because it is that seller that's selling it, even though that's not the page they put up, but that's not my, that's not my primary enforcement strategy, right? But that is still something to be aware that you don't have the rights to use that intellectual property in the manner in which it's being used. Right. And, and a lot of time they're like, well, you need to take that up with Amazon. Well, you can't take up with Amazon and the brands I work with at one time have sold on Amazon and they have sold one P right. Or they sold direct which um, for everybody listening here, Amazon has some really great clauses in their agreements that says, if you've ever sold us directly on Amazon, you've given up your intellectual property rights on Amazon and all Amazon properties in perpetuity. Yep. That means forever. So now I can't go to Amazon and say, take that, take that logo, take that product, take that copyright image down. Cause now you've given, effectively you've given Amazon rights to use that intellectual property at their will, yep. which then goes down to that seller, right? Um, at least at some level. So you change your, 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 your direction around. Now that's on 
Amazon. If we broaden this out and we take a look at, and we'll talk about the 80-20, Amazon's 80% of the market, but you still have 20% out there, right? I have a lot of clients that still have eBay issues, right? eBay yep. takes trademark very, very seriously. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing Walmart. Walmart, um, for everything that everybody says bad about Walmart, I can send one notice to Walmart and remove every possible listing on yep. there. Um, because it, they, they take that stuff very, very seriously, nor do they have the agreement set in place that they did that Amazon does. So in your experience, um, you know, in your experience, have you received any of those types of, of notices or how did you respond? And again, understand when I say notices, a lot of times they're not legal, right? We're not really talking about a right. law firm, right? I know people receive stuff from me and it says how an associates kind of looks like a law firm. I mean, they should be scared of me worse than a lawyer because I'm not bound by certain things, but <laughs> well, I'll digress on that one. That's a whole other video, but um, it's, it's just a notice. It's putting somebody on notice. It's creating a timeline and creating a communication. Uh, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm a, a bad contributor to this conversation. I have not received anything. I think it just became from a timing perspective because I was such an early seller. And then my situation is evolved, is evolved to where I'm on the other side of that. Like yep. you said, I, I deal a lot with uh, copyright infringement from folks taking our copy. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot more where I spend a lot of my time is defending my own brand as well as the brands that we represent. Uh, well, thank you. I'll, I'll interrupt you really quick there. Thank you for that segue because that was my next question. So that's what I wanted to say is, you, you know, how you how you did it on one side, but now you've got your own brand and you're starting to see that. So luckily for you, you didn't see a lot of those things come your way, but now you're on the other side and you're the one that's going to be firing those off and protecting that. So from your perspective, yeah. starting your own brand, you know, what have you seen out there? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I would feel like it's karma, right? I, I, I do feel like we, you know, we're good sellers. So my karma, my karma is, is on the, I guess, a more favorable end for me. But it is, you know, both flattering and aggravating that, um, you know, there's the eBay sellers that go on and do arbitrage. And on one hand, I'm like, well, thank you for creating this, like, additional demand. Like, yep. you're driving. Uh, yeah, so one way I had to look at it, I was like, you know, you are listing this product. And even though I'm fulfilling it, it's like, well, shoot, I didn't do the work. So I was like, I guess I'm still making some money here and there. Um, but from a content perspective, it aggravates the heck out of me. And I think maybe from a personal note, it's a lot of the pictures of the early days were my children. And I remember like seeing a picture of like my four-year-old son on like someone's eBay listing and like rage hit me so hard. <laughs> and that really became like, a, um, well, then people being like, I took these pictures and I was like, you did not. Yes. But, um, but you know, working with eBay is incredibly easy to take stuff down. Yeah. Um, on Amazon, we have been fortunate that I've been lucky. My brand is gated. Uh, so I'm not, I don't get a lot of, I don't get any sellers on there, which is great. But I do spend a lot of time combing other platforms. And even now I go to Alibaba and I see Chinese sellers saying, hey, you'll make your products. And I'm like, those are my, they're just using my images. Yeah. But that involves, uh, Alibaba, I don't know, maybe Dave, you and I should talk offline of how to solve Alibaba. But I'm lucky the manufacturers that I work with, I say, here's the, here's the page. You talk to them in Chinese. Please tell them to take their stuff down. And my sellers are great, and they do. Uh, but I, once a week, I grab my punch list of, like, go to these eight websites and type in my name, or I do Google image searches. And it's um, it's an act of love, I guess, at this point, more than uh, sanity. It probably does nothing for me. But protecting my brand is so important. I'm just wondering, too, if I, I, I can digress a little bit. Is one of the very first... Uh, one of the very first investigations that I was ever on was through Lone Cone. And we yep. were looking for, for some boots. Uh, and w these things look exactly like yours. <laughs> you remember that one. And 
I was I was looking all over China and all over uh, all over the coastal U.S. And then you called back and they go, we found them. And yep. I mean, if it's not too secret, I don't know if that's if, if, if secret no. or not. But can you can you just like, yep. let the audience know what, my... what happened? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think maybe um, I don't know if I am, if I'm naive, but uh, I think I just tend to be a very trusting person. Yeah. And so you know, we get a little a little into success and so now you know the, the more success you get the more the bigger the target you get on your back yeah. and you know in the category we were competing in which is our one of our big bestsellers is kids brain boost for the number one bestseller for the last three years which blows my mind um and uh you know, kind of see some other brands and they're like man this looks a little bit similar um you know you kind of read some of the copy and like you know the first thing we put in our copy was like i have three kids so you know uh playful patterns and you know business owned by a mom of three and I would see the copy in like a very similar listing, but obviously a Chinese brand. But I was like, you know, you know, you know, bad Chinese English of like, anyway, just all my spidey sense kicks up. And so I, I engaged with uh, Maurice and David. I was like, can you guys help me figure out who these sellers are? Couldn't figure it out. And then through just investigation and having uh, some Chinese friends and law firms get involved, discovered it's my manufacturer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's not cool. I mean, my heart, like, it just, you're like, what is going on? What do I do about this? And, um, you know, I'm a uh, trying to be humble, but I'm one of the largest ring group sellers in the United States, which is kind of a funny thing to learn because um, I would not have guessed that. So I have a lot of leverage. I'm lucky I'm in this spot that I, I know I'm a very big fish for a lot of manufacturers. And so I had a frank conversation with them just, uh, and I'm lucky it went this way, where I was like, I want all of my copyright. I want all of my trademarks assigned back to me. Um, you know, you will, you will shut your brands down and then you will work with me because here's the deal. The again talking about demand there's this much demand and so the more that you're eroding my chance at selling product it also erodes you so i'm a sure thing i'll i'll work with you it's dangerous to have all my eggs in one basket but here we are and um i have to say my manufacturer you know that was kind of a, a shady thing but the odds turned in my favor i got all of my stuff back we do have a good relationship they do help me and they do keep their eyes and ears open for me but I'm lucky. I don't know. I mean, it could have went sideways and they could have yes. been like kicked me to the curb. I don't have product. Yeah. Um, but it was just a matter of me saying like uh, making a business case to them and saying, look, this is how much the channel generates. This is how much I make. Yep. Like you're not doing anything but being a distraction. So let's just, and let's, you know, move other sellers out of the way too. And, and you're, work selling, together. you're selling, but, yeah. or you're manufacturing in China, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, um, the only place that makes our product is Hangzhou, China. Nope. And uh, I think yeah, we God bless the Trump <laughs> And you registered your trademark in China too, though, right? I do. Well, no, so my manufacturer did, and thankfully we transitioned <laughs> it over to me. Well, the nice the nice thing about this one too is I think sometimes when we hear about the copyright and trademark, we go for the jugular, right? You're you're doing something like mm -hmm. my friend, and I think it's a really cool thing that you you really went for the win win there, out, and, and out of necessity for sure, but. There's other avenues instead of just going for the jugular, is what I, yeah. what I love about. And, and I know we're coming up, we're coming up on on the time frame here. The one thing that I I I want, and it, you know, I I think I want everybody to understand that when you receive a cease and desist letter or a demand letter, whether it whether it's someone like me that's talking about first sale doctrine or warranty clauses or material differences, any of that stuff, whether it's MAP, I think it's really important to look at that and take a step back and then not freak out about it. 
but understand that mm -hmm. it's something that you need to address. And I say this to every, you know, every one of my clients, as well as every one of the sellers that I deal with, all it is, is a notice that may be a little formal, but it's a notice to get the conversation started. Where you go from there is solely on you. Ignoring it is not going to go away. One of the reasons that I've been so successful in doing what I do for my manufacturers is because through attrition, I will beat you down <laughs> and I will flood your yeah. mailbox. Right. I mean, <laughs> but, but that's yeah. the thing is, is just take a look at that. And like you said, you know, it gives you an opportunity to talk with the manufacturer and understand. And, and when we talk, whether it's, you know, trademark and copyright are very important and they're very important to the brands and manufacturers, right? That's their intellectual property. That's their IP. And you got a company, when you talk, look at a company of Nike or Adidas or Coca-Cola or Apple, I mean, people don't understand. They only think about the tangible product that they got right here, but their intellectual property is what's worth $500 billion, right? Because right. their product could flop. Their manufacturing can blow up. Their, their, all their ships coming over here to deliver product can sink. Guess what? Apple will still be around, yep. right? That's the brand that they built. Yep. So they're going to protect it. And they're also, which is the, the latter part, they're also going to protect their authorized sales channel. And their authorized sales channel, they do have authorized because part of their agreements to utilize that intellectual property for the sake of selling. So they've transferred that to an authorized reseller. When it's an unauthorized yep. reseller, they don't have those privileges. And one of the things that we've done is taken that, or we took that copyright and trademark to the next level and said, okay, if Amazon's gonna argue back and say it's not copyright, well, okay, what about, what about the first sale doctrine? all the way tied to a warranty clause that no longer is a new product, right? So these little things like that were just make a phone call, communicate with, with whether it's an agency like myself, an agency like yours, Annalisa, or, or if it's a manufacturer, if you receive that letter, just call, call, or call, call one of us, even if you're not our clients, we can guide you down that path, right? We can help you understand how to interpret that and what, and what your vulnerabilities are. And, and again, yeah. I'm always going to be on the side of the manufacturer. I'm always going to be on the side of the manufacturer because I believe that the manufacturer is the one that could be mostly beneficial to you, the seller, if you can get, get on that authorized list, right? Because yeah. in the end, it, I think you mentioned this when we first met that that retail arbitrage is great, but it's hard to build a business on because you don't have the mm -hmm. sustainability of getting product. So what's the goal yeah. of every third party seller? Direct to the product, right? Yeah. You know, and I would, I would just, you know, kind of chime in and not to I guess, beat a dead horse on this, but when you are a, an unauthorized seller and you engage with a brand, I think about how busy I am in a day. I don't want to play whack-a-mole. I don't want to get this update. I, and so the more I think from a brand's perspective, you can say, shoot, I didn't know. I bought this from Macy's. I have, you know, 60 units left. I suspect this will sell out in three weeks. Cool. You know, that solves that. Sell your product, move on. I get it. And, you know, we kind of we kind of go from there. And then the brand would engage with, you know, someone like Macy's or whoever and kind of figure out that part of the problem. And you're not so much the problem. Um, the other thing I would also say, you know, if you if you look at it from the brand's perspective, it's not just controlling customer service and warranty. Um, but other things I worry about too is like, how are you packaging my product? How are you, yes. you know, how are you, um, is the product like dusty, dirty? Um, and I'll take it one step further. This happened to us recently. Um, I was suspecting I had some counterfeit products in the marketplace and I've, I've tamped that down. But the first thing that came to my mind is I sell children's products. I'm concerned about product safety testing, like the CPSIA. I have never engaged with them, nor do I ever plan on it because I operate a brand that's on the straight and narrow. 
uh, and I'm hyper concerned, but I was like, oh my gosh, if this is counterfeit product, is it tested? It, yeah. How would I, I don't even, and my brain just went like, how do I even begin to say, uh, if this is, like, do I, how would I prove it's not mine? I don't know. And I, I'm lucky that, you know, all that got taken off. But those are other concerns too, that is, you know, depending on who you're selling for, if you it could be a serious liability that if you have counterfeit product, uh, and so that, the brand just wants to know and control that experience. And like you said, the more information you just, you give them, you share with it, you can get into their good graces. It can potentially open up the door for other things, especially if they see like how you're operating your business. Um, but really just communicating. It's almost like the old school thing that your mom tells you, your dad tells you, like, just tell the truth. You get out of the trouble, you get out of the trouble so much faster than if you just, than if you lie. Yep. And so don't be shady, just the more transparent, you'd, you'd be surprised how much further you get along uh, than trying to, you know, hide stuff. So, no, yeah. Good, you bring up a good point. One of the things that I, when I do talk to a third-party seller, I go, you got to understand from their perspective, right? They've got consumer confidence issues to understand. Yep. They got price erosion to understand. Yep. And, and a lot of that goes into that because maybe you're doing something right, but unfortunately, you're going to have to be bucketed in with all those other people because we just don't know you. You know, we don't know who you are. We don't know what you're doing. And consumer confidence is actually more important than that price erosion, right? Because if you have a consumer confident that maybe is, you know, upset with a handful of your rain boots that got out there, well, they're still going to look for rain boots and they're going to go to your competitor, right? So if you can, if you can keep that consumer confidence high, keep that product quality high, the price erosion yep. goes away a little bit because you're cleaning that up and it's a win-win. And I, I just want third-party sellers to understand it's nothing personal. They're not attacking you directly. It's just you're in you're in a position that they have an authorized reseller program. You're not in that. Now, if you want to be in that, that could be an option. Probably not on the Amazon platform, but you could be on every other platform because every brand I work with wants as many resellers as they possibly can get across the board. They don't want them on Amazon because of the race to the bottom, like we talked about. But it's not. Yep. It doesn't mean you can't have your own website. Fire up your own spot, you know, or Shopify thing. Go go over on, you know, uh, another marketplace that may be authorized in your in your in your channel. There's ways to do it, and like you said, don't lie. But I always look at everything good faith, bad faith. Are you a good faith or a bad faith seller? And and almost yep. all of them, which is why we even started this. Um, is there a good faith? They're really just trying to make a buck. They hear these things. Every other TikTok, every other YouTube show all talks about how much money you can make on Amazon. We've got even yeah. the market here. We've got more TJ Maxx, Marshalls. You know, we got all these things that you can go opening up new Costco's every day with <laughs> shockingly yeah. clients of ours selling 40% off at Costco, <laughs> which I know I'm going to have to go clean up later. But there, there's a lot of ways to buy low and sell high. You just have to understand. Yeah in an authorized sales channel, which most manufacturers do have, that you have to just be cognizant of that fact that you may get away with it now, but you probably won't get away with it next. And don't build a business off of that because you're going to be let down. Yeah. Yes. Don't build a business. I mean, have a strategy. I mean, yeah. a side hustle is one thing, but it, it, to your point, building a business, uh, I don't even know how I'd begin to do it now and have consistent income. Yeah. I think there's so many unknowns. Um, well, yeah. Prospect. Well, this this is where I'm supposed to tell you that Maurice and I are starting a kids rubber boot company. <laughs> I'm wondering if you could help us out with that. Um, sure. You're good at that. <laughs> you know, a little consulting. I'll, I'll walk you through my pitfalls. Uh, I love it. Well, Annalisa, thank you for yeah. being willing to have the take a time out of your day to do this, especially on a Friday. 
it's just uh, and it really is a, yeah, yeah, and it's a beautiful Friday to, to boot. But I would hope that you would consider being a guest in the future because some of the knowledge that you have and everything that you have done, I think would bode very well for, for the audience and their education. Uh, so thanks again. Thanks, Maurice. I'm glad you guys are doing this. I think it's an underserved, uh, I guess under, under talked about area. So this is a lot of fun and I definitely enjoy, um, you know, sharing the wisdom that I've gained along the way and hopefully somebody can benefit from what I've, what mistakes I've made. It's like, great. That's just, it's just fun to just also knowledge share. So thanks for having me. Yeah. I have to give Maurice a lot of credit because in, you know, from my tunnel vision view being, I guess you'd say the enforcer for 20 years, I never would have really opened that up and say, hell no, I don't want to talk to a whole bunch of third party sellers. <laughs> and it's more so because not, not that I was closed off to it, but it's like, well, they're, they know what they're doing. They're, they, this is ridiculous. Well, over the last six months, oh no, they're buying it directly from distributors. They're buying it legitimately. There's yeah. a whole breakdown in communication. So there's no other, none, none of the law firms I've worked with in the past, none of the brand protection agencies, none of them would touch this. And yeah. the ones that do touch this, like the buy box experts and things of that nature, they're really not looking at it from this perspective. They're looking at it, oh, you're a third party seller? Let me show you how to really do that. Well, there's also another side of that too, right? And I think that that's what we wanted to do is just strictly straight out to education, product awareness, consumer awareness, manufacturer awareness. And you know, for some reason, we were just sitting there thinking, and we're like, we know somebody that happens to be here in Boise. And we can <laughs> it. <laughs> Again, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome, you guys. Thank you so very much. I hope you guys uh, enjoy the weekend. And uh, uh, yeah, would love to come back on. Thanks for having me. We'll do okay. it again, all right? Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <Thanks. laughs> Bye-bye.